1: and go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information. My guest today is a very special guest. Her name is Janet Mefford. I've been a follower of her work on Christian radio for many years, and during a particularly challenging period for a ministry I was involved with, she interviewed me a couple of times on her show, and we've kept in touch since that time. Her nationally syndicated Christian radio show is Janet Mefford Today. It is broadcast on more than... 240 radio stations across america including the bot radio network she's an award-winning radio broadcaster a former news and religion reporter and editor for newspapers including the dallas morning news and the daily herald in suburban chicago janet welcome
2: John, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you, and congratulations on your podcast. It's awesome that you're doing this.
1: Well, this is an honor and an intimidating honor because I remember those days of being on your show. In fact, I I want to confess something to you. I would schedule customer calls outside of the bank during the two or three, depending on the day, hour window that your show aired in Orlando so I could catch some of the interviews. So this is indeed my honor.
2: Oh my goodness! Well, that's so kind of you. That that is wonderful to hear, and I hope it was worth your time to tune in because who knows what I was actually saying on those days. But <laughs> well, I appreciate your saying that, Don.
1: Well, you interviewed some very special people, and and it's it's actually the your value of absolute truth, the absolute truth of Scripture that I learned to value so much in so many different contexts because of your your various guests. You know, my audience, this audience includes high school and college students and their families. And I'm wondering if you would take a moment, and I don't even know this story, but I'm wondering if you would take a moment to tell the story of how God used various inputs to move you to a career in journalism and specifically Christian broadcasting, if you would.
2: Oh, sure. Well, I'll try to keep it pithy because nobody wants to hear a 20-minute diatribe on someone's career. Basically what happened to me was when I was in college, I had the idea that I really would like to be a lawyer, and then I decided I'd like to be in the CIA because I had a background in the Russian language throughout high school, and I was going to study it in college, too. And what happened was that I was reading a copy of my college newspaper one day, and I had come down. I went to Baylor University, and I had come down to Texas from Chicago, where I'm originally from. And one of the reasons I wanted to go to Baylor is I said I want to be around Christians, and I want to get away from the liberals. And I was reading the newspaper one day, and it was all liberal stuff. And I got so annoyed that I decided I would sign up for the newspaper and, and sign up for a reporting course and work for the newspaper, which was called the Lariat at Baylor. So that was how I entered it. And it was in my blood anyway because my mom had been involved in journalism. My grandmother was an author, so I kind of had it in my blood already. Mm-hmm. But that same year, I took a Radio TV course as an elective. And I worked for the campus radio station, and I loved it, really. I mean, I just took to it like a fish to water. I loved doing it, but I didn't want to major in that. I ended up majoring in journalism, but I always continued to do it. I had a youth pastor when I was in church at that time who was very encouraging, you need to use your gifts, and you should try working at this missionary radio station that our church owned up in Alaska. So I spent a summer of my college years working at this missionary radio station, and then I worked later at a sister station, another missionary station up there. So I just kept going with it, and and I ended up continuing on in radio on the side as I was working full-time in journalism after I graduated from college. So it was kind of a concurrent thing, and then just over the years, the Lord moved me more into radio full-time, I look at what this situation is in fake news these days, and I think, well, that was a good time to end my journalism career. I <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they hire me now. I don't really fit the, the move, and it was hard enough back when I was doing it Indeed. to be able to survive as a Christian and a conservative, but that's kind of the basics of how I ended up doing what I'm doing.
1: Well, and that's an interesting story, and you know, as I, as I look at your career, and I think of you as a Christian radio broadcaster, and you're absolutely right, they're There are not many, and I I don't want to make the point too strenuously, but you are one of those few people who have had a lengthy career proclaiming truth, and your biblical knowledge comes through, your professionalism, and so on. But maybe a a not-so-well-kept secret, but something that I wasn't as aware of, is your writing. You're a gifted writer as well. And so I, I took some time to and I've, I've done this over the years as well, but I went back and read some of your blog posts, and uh, several of them really caught my eye. And, and I, I like the, the way that you take on difficult subjects and you, and you do it artfully, and I'll, I'll try to explain uh, what I mean by that. The, the first one that I'd, I'd love to get you to respond to, and I'm going to ask you to maybe just comment on, on three or four of these subjects, but it's called Christian muckraking, And I thought that was such a clever way to talk about something that I've actually encountered with you. I've contacted you a few times, as you know, over the years to inquire about a ministry, a denomination, or an individual to get your thoughts, because I know you have uh, such a national perspective and a clear-eyed perspective, biblical perspective on these ministries. I really wanted to know whether or not the industry or individual is basically true to Scripture. And your blog post on muckraking so beautifully captures a challenge, I think, in Christian ministry that we actually discussed in the context of a colleague of mine recently. Would you please describe this concept and talk about this challenge?
2: Sure. Well, I am a big believer, as you know, John, in journalism. And journalism not only was a career for me, but I really believe in it as a concept. I think it's a public service when it's done right. And I know we see too many examples these days when it's not done right. But when it's done right, you are in a position of really serving the public in reporting on what's going on. And in large measure, this has to do with public officials, for example, covering school board meetings or library board meetings. And you're keeping track of budgets. You're making sure that nobody is on the take. You're making sure that there aren't any scandals. And you're covering the work of the police and the fire departments. And you're reporting on what's going on in your community as far as crime goes or property damage here and these kinds of things. And those are important things. And most of the time when you're doing real journalism, it's a very mundane thing. People who have worked as reporters will tell you that most of the time your work will be very mundane because you're covering the everyday event now and then you'll get a scandal. There will be something. The mayor is uh, is embezzling and you find it out. And you interview people and you have a big story and it runs for three weeks and you're covering it every day and you're drowning in this story every day. But that's more often than not a very rare event. In the normal course of events, you're just covering what's going on so the public knows what's going on and can keep its public officials accountable and also know what's going on in their communities in general, whether it's general interest or feel-good stories, those sorts of things. What happens over time, and I've seen this happen over time, is people have become, with the internet age especially, people have figured out in the Christian subculture that they can make a name for themselves by outing people and going after people every single day. Now, I have no problem if there's a real story and there's a real scandal and it's a real news story. I'm all for that. That needs to come out and that needs to be... Reported to people, but what I have seen in the last several years is an increasing number of people who don't really have print journalism experience. Most of them, some of them do, but some most of them don't. They're just self-appointed bloggers or self-appointed podcasters, YouTubers, or what have you, and they've decided I'm going to make some kind of name for myself by continually vomiting out content about Christians and famous Christians in particular who are doing nefarious things. But what happens is, and I explain this in my article, when you set up a business model that is all about going after people, then the days when there's no one who you can legitimately go after, you still have to come up with someone to go after. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is, rather than in journalism where every once in a while you'll get a legitimate scandal, they have to come up with scandals all the time. And I liken that to the National Enquirer because that's exactly what the National Enquirer does. They want to find... The picture of a gorgeous actress from 1955, who's now fat and ugly, and living, you know, on the streets <laughs> and getting her food out of dumpsters, and they get the picture and they put it on the front. It's not news, but boy, people love that because the base human nature loves gossip. It loves prurient busybodiness, and these are things that the scriptures warn us against. We're not to be busybodies. We're not to be gossip. We're not to be idle and filling our time with talking about other people. On issues that don't concern us. And I, I've i seen this, John, the thing that really concerns me about this is I've seen this not just on the left with more of the progressive Christians, a lot of whom do make their, you know, their, their little blog name for themselves by doing this, but I've seen it with conservatives, and I've seen conservatives, professing conservative Christians, not only doing this, but even running stories that aren't true, And I have warned some of these people, you can't print that. It's not true. And they didn't care. And they went ahead with it anyway. And I have seen this in the last two or three years and largely haven't talked about it much until I published that article. But I'm disgusted by it because that is unethical, first of all, but it's ungodly more than anything else. And so that was why I wrote what I wrote.
1: Well, I'm disgusted by it as well. And I'm wondering if you could just comment just to follow up the discernment that is required. Now, I've, I've, as I've said several times now, I've, I've been a a listener of your work and reader of your work for years and you get it right. And sometimes you get it right early on in a particular situation where I wonder where in the world did she get her facts and knowing that you're really a trained journalist and that you know how to do research and how to find the facts and you know how to corroborate the, the facts that you've found. And, you know you understand that whole process i would imagine is helpful is this a case this this thing that we're experiencing in christian journalism that you were just referencing this this muckraking is it a case of untrained journalists who are involved in journalism or or is it something more than that
2: i think it's both i think there are people who are somewhat trained but just love the idea of getting a lot of clicks and likes i'll tell you there's so much sin that goes on in the name of getting clicks and likes mm. There really is. People who want more followers, I've seen people make comments, for example, oh, yes, I got this story wrong, but I got 10,000 new followers, so I win. I, can uh-huh. you imagine that that's your takeaway? No. I reported something that was false, but it's okay because I got 10,000 new followers. And I'm thinking, when you're on that train, you need to get off the internet and check yourself and examine yourself because that's not godly behavior. So yeah, we do have some people who are trained, and I think they just get into the mode of Hey, this is the way that I can keep my career going. And then you also have people who have no training. They don't know what they're doing, but as long as they're getting clicks and likes, who cares? They're oh, exactly. able to get people to sign up for their YouTube channels, and the ends justify the means. And I just think there needs to be some kind of corrective put out there that this is wrong and it's completely unethical. And I suppose we're just going to have to leave it to those who have ears to hear will hear. Unless who don't have ears to hear I don't know what we could say to him anyway but at least
1: exactly.
0: I just
2: had to make the attempt to say it
1: well and I so appreciate that and I I'm wondering if you could just talk about just briefly it seems to me is is that also the 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 clicks and likes and all the rest is that also the driver behind our just the mainstream media becoming so much more, Left leaning. I would I would have called them left leaning before, and now I think they've they've actually moved into onto the leftmost team, as it were. Is that also kind of the driver behind this move? or is it an ideal ideological issue that happens all the way back in high school and college education preparing them for these careers?
2: Well, if I'm understanding correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, John. I just want to make sure I'm not going off the rails here. But uh, <laughs> I would say that, yes, we've always had a bias problem as long as I was in in newsrooms. It was very biased, and it was very biased towards the left. And Bernie Goldberg wrote some great books about that back in the day. People might remember him yep. from CBS
1: News. Indeed.
2: It's gone from, yeah, it's gone from bias to just being activists. I mean, it radical activists and maybe it isn't everybody in the newsroom, but it creates a culture where people have to keep their opinions to themselves if they disagree because they don't want to get fired. So it's way far. And it may be that some of these people who are finding themselves a, a place in the Internet scheme of things are looking across the spectrum and saying, well, this is how you get attention. And I don't know. I mean, I. It's hard to figure out what the motivation is for a lot of these folks, other than what I I just simply observe, which is they like being able to get attention and make a name for themselves and self-promote and have brands. Right. And I'm just the kind of Christian, maybe I'm just too much of a dinosaur, but I don't like the branding thing. You know, I'm I'm not McDonald's. I I don't want to be McDonald's. I don't want to be (laughs) some kind of consumer item. I'm a person and I'm a Christian. And I think back to, for example, you know, some of these Christians, I think of Keith Green. I've talked about this quite a bit because he had a big influence on me, the Christian singer who died in the early 80s. He kind of preceded my day, but I listened to him yep. later on. Yep. And his whole thing was, I'm a Christian singer, but I'm supposed to be promoting Jesus. So exactly. how hard is this that I get up on stage and I'm sitting under these spotlights going, look at me. Oh, yes, it's all about Jesus. I think that's the same temptation that is affecting Christians now, and we better be very sober about it, because it's very easy to tip over into sinful temptation and brazen brazen sin of thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And we need to go back to those verses and remember those verses about humility and understanding Jesus' words when he said, even if you obey everything that I've commanded you, you're still an unworthy servant. I don't think that we hear enough sermons on that that no. particular verse john i really no. don't i know i need to hear it every
1: day well we also don't hear enough from the sermon on the mount on the fact that we can't serve god and money and all the rest those aren't popular topics speaking of which you just teed up this next question perfectly there's another blog post that caught my attention and it is beautifully written and it i think it's called where are all the christian heroes mm-hmm. and you cite a number of men who've fallen because of sin, and you ask the question Could we stop for a moment though to consider the collective damage done through these scandals, not just to the church, but to individual Christians who need Christian heroes? You go on to mention the fact that there are faithful pastors and leaders out there who are mostly unknown. I have to wonder what is really going on? Is there a connection between The size of the ministry, and as you said, the clicks and likes, and these very public failings, they seem to be more frequent in recent years.
2: Yes, I think there is definitely a connection. Being from Chicago, I have to go all the way back to the establishment of Willow Creek Community Church, Bill Hybels, who later found himself embroiled in his own scandal. And it's kind of funny because I interviewed him, and I actually did some stories about Willow Creek that they didn't like. Back in the 90s, I had the opportunity to sit down and interview him extensively a series I did on him, and by the time he actually went down, I wasn't at all surprised because there were just there were clues many years before. But what happened when when Willow Creek came online, it became about seeker sensitivity, and you want to take the stuff out of your church that would potentially offend a seeker. So take out the cross, and take out the Christian symbols, and take out any baptistry, and make sure that you soften the presentation, and you have comfortable seating, and you have skits, and you know, at the time, right. it was very unusual, and it affected every church that I knew of in our area, because all of a sudden, all these smaller pastors said, well, I better be like willow Creek, because I'm going to lose my congregation if I don't change. And a lot of us at the time said, what are you doing? Biblical truth doesn't change just because some carnival barker came along and decided to emulate Robert Schuller and become the next big circus, right. and look how it ended. I think there is. So much wrong with the church growth movement and the impact that it had on evangelicalism that it's almost incalculable the damage that it's done. And now we're seeing the second and third generation coming along, and it's just assumed if you are a big name, you got to have a big presence, you got to have book deals, and you got to have a podcast, and you got to have sermons on YouTube and Vimeo, and you've got to have thirty thousand people at seven satellite campuses. It's ridiculous. It doesn't have anything to do with what the commands of Scripture say about what an elder is to be. Primarily, when you look at the First Timothy 3 and Titus 1 passages on the ministry, those are character traits. It talks about the character of the man who needs to be an elder and being above reproach and all of these things. And I think, John, honestly, I don't think most churches even look at those passages seriously and apply them. Otherwise, we wouldn't be seeing the people. And the other problem is, You got me off on a tangent, but just briefly, the other problem is when you have churches that can be started like businesses, a guy comes along and hangs up a shingle and says, this is my church, you're going to be in trouble in a lot of cases, because that's not the ecclesiology that the the Word of God teaches.
1: No, the accountability is missing often in those churches.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I, I was in a meeting this morning, and we were fretting over something that I fret about a lot. I... After a long 28-year banking career, I started teaching at a Christian high school and thought it was going to be kind of something I did for a year or two, and I've done it for many years now. I had 112 students last year, and I teach uh, government uh, one semester, U.S. government economics the second semester, and then a a worldview class and an ethics class. And I get to also teach the Book of Romans, walk through the Book of Romans during the, the worldview class. And one of the things we fret over is is the students uh, who they go away, they go off to college, and and a few years later, and this isn't just true at this school; this it's true of schools all over the country. You find that the the young person who professed faith in Christ falls away, or or they stop attending church, and all evidence of of being um, regenerated sort of leaves their lifestyle, and. And, and we fret over that, and we, and we say, well, well, what, what are we doing wrong? And I would contend that it, it is teaching truth, the absolute truth of Scripture, in a, in a very clear, meaningful way. I find that students really appreciate the honesty, the candor, the detail associated with these doctrines so much more so than the kind of the mile-wide, inch-deep, church that I grew up in and, and not that there went wasn't some good teaching but but that environment that let's have a cool youth room and and make everybody comfortable and by the way why are we here I, I think that's yeah. that's our challenge it's it's the and what we said this morning is the family's under attack needless to say in our society ideologically and so is the church but the church is probably the bigger enemy frankly
2: yeah well right if you if you look at what a lot of us called Big Eva, which is our kind of shorthand way of talking about these big evangelical leaders who are in the news all the time. The new variety, not the old guys. You know, the that, new it's,
1: it's funny. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that is actually my next question. So you go right ahead. I was going to ask you about the article you wrote back in October called Freedom, Communism, and Big Eva's Betrayal. So you go right ahead.
2: Yeah, no, sorry about that for jumping the gun. No, no, you're good. Um, yeah, I think what's happened is that you have Big Eva you know, groups like the Gospel Coalition and Christianity Today and a lot of these woke people who are pushing this stuff, saying we've got to go in this direction because this is where the millennials are. This is where Generation Z is. And again, I go back to the Bible and say, but you are never given a mandate by God to make sure that people are culturally comfortable. This is another problem that, that really comes from the church growth movement, the assumption that you got to do what people like. Well, look at what Jesus said. He's a stumbling block. This is what <laughs> this is what scripture teaches that that those who are rejecting him rejecting the son of god revealed in the pages of scripture are rejecting him because of their sin. None of us want to hear we're sinners by nature. Why would we want to hear that? But we need to hear it in order to repent and to put our faith in Jesus Christ and to be born again by his spirit and to receive eternal life. If you don't hear the bad news, the good news won't mean anything to you. And so We've got this very worldly evangelical subculture that has affected almost everything, including the churches, including the denominations, and these people are relentless. They're out on the media all day long. They're on the internet. They're on social media, and they're pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, and at the same time, John, what they're doing is they are chastising anybody who comes along and questions them with biblical truth, and they call us names, oh, you're just a drooling fundamentalist you're, you know, pejorative, as, as if it's a bad thing to believe in the fundamentals of Scripture, regardless of what denomination or church you happen to belong to. Right. It's trying to denigrate people who love the Lord and love His Word. And if you don't see this, if I want to say it this way, meta narrative of what's going on, then you can get caught up in the weeds. What we need to do is get about 30,000 feet over what's going on and see it for what it is.
1: That's it's right. getting
2: harder and harder and harder to say... As I always say, the the great thing about the Bible is it never evolves. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Truth doesn't change. It doesn't change. So if you see somebody coming along and saying, we all need to move this way now, we'll be in step with the culture, I would say, go back to your Bible. Don't listen to these people. Be a Berean. Go back to your Bible and compare what these people are teaching with what you're reading in the pages of Scripture. Stick with God. He never changes. He's perfect. He's holy. You don't need big Ava in order to tell you how to think because most of the time they're wrong anyway.
1: Well, that's exactly right. And the cross, the life of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, not just his sinless life, but his death on a cruel Roman cross, his burial, his resurrection, and eventually his ascension to sit at the right hand of the father making intercession for us is in fact the center of human history. It is yep. in fact the, the center of the biblical redemptive narrative and it's not plan B it wasn't plan B as i was taught as a kid as if god panicked because man sinned and had to develop a plan B it is the, it is central to it is the true meta narrative and yet yep. that scenario you just described in the church is problematic and then we have over in the rest of the world the meta narrative is that truth is subjective that truth isn't even a reality that truth isn't achievable attainable and so young people are left with not to mention the fact that they are inundated with information they they don't have time to stop and think unless they discipline themselves and and make themselves do so so this world is a challenging place but i think to your point the church is a huge part of that
2: Yeah, I think the Church is a huge part of that, because we're very worldly. And you go back to Revelation 2 and 3, and you read Jesus' words to the seven churches there in Revelation, and it's very sobering. Because when you think of the Church at Laodicea, for example, we're very lukewarm. I don't even know if we're that good. That's right. Um, But I think, you know, I think as a lot of people have observed that the hand of judgment seems to be upon the American Church. We have been so blessed. We have been inundated with all of the blessings, not only of individual liberty, living in such a prosperous and free nation all of these years and inheriting those blessings from people who really paid a heavy price to hand those down to us. But we're just so cavalier about having 27 Bibles on our shelves and 14 versions on our Kindles or iPads and commentaries, and we've got this and that, and we're not reading them. We're not studying that. We're not, and most of all, we're not applying the truth that we're learning. If we are reading it, we're not applying it to our lives in large measure. We're more concerned with entertainment and coolness than we are. I think back to what we are with holiness. But I go back to a friend of mine years ago who said that he had seen some picture of some Christian musician who was dressed up you know, in the, the garb of the day and looking trying to look like a secular rock star. And he just said very quietly, Christians shouldn't be cool. And I've never forgotten that because I thought there was something very true in that statement, in that context, which was, we shouldn't be trying to be like the world because we're not like the world. Exactly. We're completely different. We're a peculiar people. And that's the beauty of being a Christian is we're not of this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. And we ought to act like that. The truth.
1: Well, I, I appreciate you saying that so much. And perhaps humorously, I was told a few years ago by a student, a young lady said, Mr. Warren, you know, you're not cool, right? So (laughs) I've got to look back on that fondly now.
2: Blessed are you. Blessed are you, John.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to ask you one more quick question. You've been so gracious with your time, and it's really one of my favorite blog posts of yours, and it's it's a bit out of context now because you were writing about—it was just before the year-end, 2020 year-end, and you said—I think the title was something like Resolved in 2021 to be Sold Out for Jesus— and you you celebrate 2020 ending just the way I did uh, fondly, but you cleverly discuss Jonathan Edwards' 70 resolutions, and that is what got my attention. And then you address many of the challenges of 2020 in that context. You talk about Marxism, the pandemic, corruption in government, big media, other issues. But then you do something you pivot to the fact that we have the same God who set this world into motion, who sent his son into the world. And your point is that no matter our circumstances, our challenges, God is sovereign, and we're to be followers of Jesus Christ. I'd love for you to just talk about that, our great hope in him, regardless of our circumstances, because you did so so well in this this post.
2: Oh, thanks, John. Well, it's hard for me to remember everything that was on my mind when I wrote that, but I think back, I became a Christian when I was very, very small. So I have had the wonderful ability to tell people I have a super boring testimony. I was not in a gutter with an empty alcohol bottle, right. beer bottle or wine bottle or whatever with me. I didn't have some dramatic conversion to Jesus Christ. I grew up in a Christian home and we actually grew up in a liberal mainline home. And my mom became a Christian because uh, her roommate from college became a new Christian and shared the gospel with her on the phone. And that changed the course of my whole life. But wow. when I look back, you get to a certain point in your life where you can look back on so many ways. The Lord has been faithful in your life and so many prayers that he's answered that he never had to. And so many blessings that he heaped upon you that you never deserved and that you barely thought to ask for. And he was just delighted to give that to you. And I have so many stories like that in my life. And, the longer I go on in my life, the more I love him. I just love him so much. It's not just about theology for me. It's about the Lord loving me despite my sins, despite my failures, despite all of the things that I did wrong and the terrible thoughts and all the things that I have done that have displeased him, and he keeps forgiving me, and he keeps
1: Exactly. You know,
2: you look at the grace of God, why me, Lord? Why in the world did you pick me? I'm so unworthy. And we are. Like, that's not even false modesty. That's just a fact. I'm completely unworthy when I see so many people who are lost. And I think what that led me to think when I was looking at everything in the world is, there's so much in the world and the whole world is passing away. We know that. It's passing away. It's temporary. Life is short. and what we need to cling to as Christians is that simple truth that Jesus loves me and he died on the cross for me when I didn't deserve it. And he was raised from the dead to reconcile me to a holy God who could rightly send me to hell, but because of his love, he didn't do it. And he won't do it. And I have the joy of being able to walk with him every single day, knowing him as my friend, but also my Lord and savior. And when I went to Edwards resolutions and I, I honed in on that one, I think it was 63, when Jonathan Edwards was saying, if I'm the last Christian on earth, I want to be the last Christian on earth. That was basically the sense of what he said. Indeed. I'm going to strive to be that one Christian who really lives a godly life, who really lives a life of holiness and really honors the Lord. That just reinvigorates me every time I read that resolution, because that's what I want. And I don't think I'll ever really hit it, but that's what I want. Exactly. I want to thrive, just like the Apostle Paul talked about it. When, when we're running the race to finish the race and keep the faith, I want to keep my eye on Jesus until I'm with him. And I want to honor him, and I don't want to fall, and I don't want to shame him in any way, and I don't want to let him down. And that's what keeps me going, is remembering how faithful he's been to me in the past, and that same faithfulness that he's demonstrated to me in the past is the same faithfulness he's going to have towards me until I'm with him. And when you're walking in that truth, you can just be joyful. You really can, even if everything is collapsing around you, which let's Amen. face it, it seems like it is sometimes, you can be joyful because you know, you know, no one ultimately gets away with anything. The Lord has everything under his control. And that's very, very comforting to me.
1: It is indeed. You just covered a lot of ground. I'm I'm just thinking about the whole Coram Deo concept, living life before the face of God, uh, aware that we're in his presence. And you you said yeah. that so well. This, this has been such a treat for me. I feel like the words are inadequate. If you had told me that I could spend this half hour talking with you about these beautiful truths or interviewing Tom Brady, I would have uh, selected this concept, these topics, and had this discussion. And I really can't thank <laughs> you enough for being with us.
2: John, it's my honor. It's just so nice to be with you, and I have really enjoyed our conversations over the years. I think you're a wonderful Christian, and I, I hope that your audience just explodes because you're doing a fantastic job. And well, anytime I'm, you want to call on me to come back, I'll come back and chat with you anytime. It's oh, that's It's just terrific. a delight.
1: Well, thank you so much. And uh, folks, I hope you will uh, take a look at our website. Uh, Janet's website is janetmefford.com, and you can find her on a radio station in your market, please go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information and for future podcast episodes. Until next time,
0: thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.